welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 22nd, 2023. This week, why put off until 2024 what you could do Christmas week? I'm Kim Hollis, who loves her parents very much. Aww. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, wishing David Zaslov gets visited by three ghosts this year. <laughs> well, it worked for the last Scrooge, so maybe there's hope for this time. Put a little love in your heart, Mr. Zaslov. Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst, who has won more than 50 NBA titles since the last time we spoke. Kim was in Illinois with her family this week, and I had nothing else to do, so I wrote pretty much 30,000 words in a week. And in between that, I played NBA 2024 for the first time. And I understand there's like a video game you can play in there, but I just simulated GMing the entire time. And Kim, I am seeing numbers when I sleep. No joke. <laughs> I believe you. How, how many trades have you made? <laughs> I am not joking, Tim. Thousands. Mm -hmm. He's not joking. I've seen some of them. I absolutely believe it. <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who's got something sincere he'd like to say. Guys, there's no three people with whom I'd rather be spending Christmas Eve than Tim, David, and Kim. Aww. And this, and this really would be nice. a lot more meaningful if this was actually Christmas Eve, but someone changed <laughs> the date of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Still meaningful. <laughs> In our deep dive this week, the Paramount Fire Sale is on. Roel, I was looking forward to some peace and quiet this holiday season. What happened? I'm with you, Kim. I thought we'd get some time off for Christmas and New Year's, but someone forgot to tell Hollywood as the rumor mill kicked into overdrive with speculation as to who was going to buy Paramount. Wait, what? Hold on. This week, we were supposed to do like a 2024 draft episode. Tim had worked really hard on that. Are we not doing that? Not this week, David. Maybe next week. But you never know what, with these nut jobs what's going to happen next. There's been some speculation for some time now that Skydance, the production company operated by David Ellison, who is Larry Ellison's son, the multi-billionaire Oracle founder, would be partnering with Redbird Capital Partners and making a bid for Paramount. That honestly seems like the wisest approach. And in fact, Redbird has been piling on the former disgraced CEOs, including Jeff Zucker from CNN and Jeff Schell from NBC Universal. It looks like they're making a move to take over a Hollywood studio, and it's quite likely that that Hollywood studio would be Paramount, given Skydance's deep, deep partnership with Paramount. Skydance has a toehold at Paramount, having produced Tom Cruise movies like Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible, as well as the recent Transformers movie. It may makes a lot of sense in particular because Skydance has been talking to Sherry Redstone about taking a controlling stake in national amusements. This is the company that, while it does not own a majority of Paramount, actually has a controlling stake in Paramount's stock. And that would be a way of sneaking by antitrust concerns. But suddenly there was this report that broke that the chief executives of Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery, that would be Bob Backett and our good friend David Zaslov had been spotted discussing a possible merger and Hollywood blew up. Just to be clear, folks, Raul is referencing the fact that there would be a merger between Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount, which is pretty much in terms of 
one to the apocalypse, it's an apocalypse plus three. This is worst case scenario <laughs> for everyone involved in Hollywood, just even casually. This would mean the drying up of even more jobs. Zaslav would come in, he would have the Reaper's weapon of choice, the scythe, and he would be cutting jobs left and right, and nothing would get produced because, oh, he didn't get into business to make content. He got in business to banish content, apparently. Everything about this is the absolute worst. And Raul, he did this specifically to intrigue Wall Street and get investors thinking, hey, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount sure are undervalued. That worked, right? <laughs> if the plan was to get Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount stock price to go up, it had the opposite effect. No one liked this idea and both their stock prices went down in the wake of this news. And then out of nowhere comes this rumored speculation that maybe Comcast is going to be involved in this merger in some way. And then Comcast's price went down as well. At this point, Brian Roberts is like, hey, guys, just, just leave me out of this. Yeah, so we're going to call this the touch of Zaslov. Everything is so poisoned by association at this point. I don't think the man genuinely understands how much goodwill he has burned in two years. But, you know, we on this podcast warned you in advance before he came in, you're going to hate this guy. What he has done since then throws under my absolutely bottom barrel expectations for what could have happened here. And now his big grand plan to get himself out of this giant mess he's created is to buy or merge with something else that is in equally grim territory. This is like someone in quicksand waving at someone else in quicksand and saying, hey, can you jump in my quicksand and save me? There's no path here for anybody. And on top of that, let's just take it to basics. Both these places are over leveraged to the hilt. I mean, Warner Brothers Discovery roll jokes, but it's not a joke. They owe more than they're worth at this point. Real talk. So when they say, hey, we're going to buy somebody else, I just look around and go, with what money? How would that work in any way, shape, or form? It just, it doesn't pass the laugh test. And on top of that, it would be bad business. So everyone is rejecting it. Will David Zaslav take the hint? Will Sherry Redstone take the hint? Well, Redstone's a smart, smart person. So I think we're fine on that side, I think. But we thought consolidation was coming in 2024. That's the first time Warner Brothers Discovery can actually move as part of the agreement of Warner Brothers and Discovery. And just to be clear, we're talking about CBS and Viacom. And if we want to do that, National Amusement. Those were five different businesses at one point, like power players in this industry. And there is now a scenario out there where there's one business left standing. That's too much consolidation, especially when the person most likely would be in charge of it should not be able to be in charge of your local Walmart. Yeah, the, the only person who thinks this would be a good idea would be the person who thinks it'd be great to see Batman on the bridge of the Enterprise. That's just not an excuse to merge Warner Brothers with Paramount. There are pluses and minuses to some of these options. I still think that this Skydance partnership with Redbird to eventually take over National Amusement seems like the most likely option, but not for some time to come. And I'll tell you about why in a moment. There is a negative there because Redbird Capital itself has gotten some funding from an Abu Dhabi-based investment firm called International Media Investments 
sense. And so there'll be some people balking at the thought of a Middle Eastern company investing in a Hollywood studio. But beyond that, I still think that Skydance is still the best option. If you look at the pluses and minuses for a Warner Brothers Discovery merger, one thing that Warner Brothers Discovery does not have right now is an NFL contract. And that is something that Paramount does have, which is arguably an albatross for Paramount. And I will tell you about that in a moment. Also, presumably, if they were to merge this uh, ongoing lawsuit as to what qualifies as a South Park episode and what should be playing on Max versus Paramount Plus would presumably get dismissed because they'd all be one happy company right now. But yes, as David pointed out, Warner Bros. Discovery owes a ton of money. Paramount is negative cash flow and they have a $2 billion payment to make to the NFL in 2024. They need essentially $2 billion in cash to pay the NFL over the course of 2024. Now, it's likely that they can make that payment, but it's going to be a little tight. And what's more is that Paramount as a movie studio just does not have any major features coming out in 2024. Their next real big major one is the next Mission Impossible movie, which given what happened in 2023 has now been pushed all the way out to 2025. Paramount is in a lot of trouble. A lot of people think right now that both Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount have not hit bottom yet. They continue to decline in terms of value and the right time to buy them is not right now. What's more is, of course, Warner Brothers Discovery can't buy anything until April 8th of 2024. If they do it now, they would incur massive tax penalties. So they could be talking, but nothing's happening until next spring. It's also the reason why right now Skydance and Redbird Capital aren't going to be doing any moves because it looks quite likely that the price of uh, Paramount is going to go down. It went up a little bit when the rumors first came out from Skydance and Redbird, but really all of that has been offset by this nonsense related to Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery. It's just silly. That's the Zaslav touch right there. If you think about it, all they had to do was start rumors. We're going to sell. We're going to strip for parts, whatever happens. There is a BET deal about to happen, and it might be for as much as $3 billion. That would be terrific news for investors. But then you bring Zaslav into the conversation. Everybody's like, wait, you're going the wrong way on that play. That's like an offense running a play that loses 10 yards rather than one that you only need six inches. Everything about it is backward. And Raul, I mean, you're tangenting and tangenting here, and I understand it. When you look at the big picture here, how messy is this? It's very messy because there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of potential bidders, but really what Sherry Redstone wants is a bidding war for her company because she feels her company is undervalued, and she figures if she can convince someone else that, hey, if you guys don't show up with your truckloads of money, David Zaslav's going to get the company, but that does not pass the laugh test. I mean, we're kind of conflicted about this, and I want us to be a little bit logically consistent here because we have been saying throughout 2023, Paramount was comically undervalued. In terms of what it actually owns, possesses, it is a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse. But there's a flip side to this, and when you look at the stock price, you can kind of see it. When we were talking about this to start in November, the stock was only at $11. 
it's up to 15 now. But even at that price, that's still just a market cap of right at $10 billion. And that's the conversation, Rubble, because you've been saying for a while now, you think that they want like $25 billion for this. The discrepancy <laughs> between what the stock says and what the perception of the assets they own is, is as large as I can remember a media empire having in the last quarter century. No joke. Am I being outlandish there? No, not at all. But what we need to accept is that there's a lot of different assets under the Paramount umbrella and anyone who buys the company doesn't necessarily want them all. One of the things that Paramount managed to finally sell off in 2023 was their book publishing division, Simon & Schuster. There's a big check coming in soon for that sale, which is going to help offset that big NFL payment they have to do. So that's great for them. Isn't that the one that's not actually as big as it should have been because there were antitrust concerns and they had to sell to someone else? That's right. I believe they wanted to sell to Penguin Random House, but then there'd be like only three major publishers left in the world. And Department of Justice said, uh, no. Another one of the assets that they've sold off is their MMA company, Bellator. No one wants to buy Paramount and end up holding the assets to an MMA company. So they needed to get rid of that. And among the assets that Paramount probably needs to jettison is the cable network BET. And probably it's a company streaming service, BET+. Now, Paramount tried to sell BET earlier this year. And that did not go well simply because the offers they were receiving were not to Sherry Redstone's liking. These cable channels are the appreciating in price day after day after day. This is one of the reasons both Warner Bros. Discovery and Paramount now are looking for a buyer is because while, yes, cable channels continue to be profitable, they continue to decline in profitability quite precipitously, and they will not be profitable for much longer. So the fact of the matter is that the money makers for both these studios will not be money makers for much longer. And so what's left after that, other than money losing streaming services, services and their film divisions, which are not recovering week after week. Tim tells you about how the movie business is not recovering. So these studios need to find someone with deeper pockets that is willing to hold on to these companies for what they're worth, which is basically their intellectual property, their IP. But the truth is there is a couple of bidders out there for BET, one of which is led by the current CEO of BET with some investment backing. And the other one is perennial underdog Byron Allen, who keeps showing up with bags full of money, he just <laughs> marched into the room and dropped $3.5 billion on the table and said, I'll take BET. As David again pointed out, the market cap of Paramount as a whole is $10 billion. Byron Allen just offered you a third of the value of the company just for BET. Imagine how much all the other assets at Paramount should be worth. Selling BET for $3.5 billion would certainly increase the value of all the other assets. Sherry Redstone should should be jumping at this offer. Byron Allen just showed up Santa Claus on Christmas Eve and offered Cherry Redstone a lifeline. And as a reminder, this happens on the heels of the fact that last year there was a $3 billion offer specifically for Showtime that was rejected as well. That is $6.5 billion of a company that is supposedly worth $10 billion. And that's why this is the doomsday scenario, because we are saying things right now that lead to one conclusion. Paramount is worth more if it's taken apart than if it's together. And who is the Larry the Liquidator of Hollywood right now? That is Zaslov. Zaslov has figured out a potential path for how he can actually get rid of some of the debt for Warner Brothers Discovery, and that is 
swallowing all of the assets for Paramount, which he doesn't want or need except for maybe the NFL, and then getting rid of those and thereby paying down some of his debt, which means everything about Paramount that we've come to know would die at the hands of David Zasloff. I warned you in advance about how bad it would be if he actually merged Warner Brothers with Discovery. It's been even worse than that. So my understanding on all of this is the big merger that we've basically been talking about since the start of this podcast went from just speculation to very likely to happen sometime in 2024, just a matter of who and when. Huh? There's certainly going to be at least one major merger happening in 2024, and Paramount's going to be part of that. Now, who else will be involved is right now entirely up in the air. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so something's going to happen. Okay. I think it's safe to say that someone is going to take control of Paramount, whether they keep it together or break it apart remains to be seen. And then I think that David Zasloff can no longer juggle chainsaws. He's starting to get them dangerously close to his throat. So he is at the stage now where he is trying to entice bidders for a new different variant from the Warner Brothers Discovery monstrosity he created that didn't work. And that will happen. And that's why I think all of this is subterfuge. We have a discord for this group. And one of the first things I said about this was it was very much like them trying to entice other people people like Comcast, hey, we're ready, come get us. And so I do not think the deal we're discussing this week is how it's going to play out for either of these parties, but we've all been surprised before, so we'll see. Okay, so let's take a look at our holiday box office. Uh, first, of course, we had Wonka last weekend, which came in with $39 million for the weekend. That was on the higher end of the estimates after Friday. So that's a good sign going forward. It did pretty well during the week. Actually, it's already over $64 million as of Friday's box office. So that may be the ultimate winner when all said and done, because none of the other holiday openers are really that exciting. You're playing fast and loose with the term winner there, aren't you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's not... A grand slam, but you know it's it, it's still kind of probably going to be the best performer of these these films, which is pretty sad, especially since the winner on Friday was the long-awaited to somebody, I guess, the sequel to Aquaman, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, thirteen point seven million on Friday. Sounds okay, but uh, keep in mind, oh, just you know, four years ago it opened with uh, twenty-seven point seven million for its first day. Nobody wanted this movie. Including major co-stars of this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you thought uh, the Marvels was a big drop from, say, Captain Marvel. By the time this one's done, it's not going to come close to the, you know, 335 million it made domestically and oh 1.1 billion worldwide i mean the worldwide box office might still be okay but domestically it's gonna fall really hard from the original tim i just remember during the pandemic we would say there's going to be the haves and the have-nots in box office as we advance past mm -hmm. That era. What's surprising to me is some of the presumed haves are turning into have nots as well. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? Yeah, because as much as people have piled on the DC movies, Aquaman was a big bright spot, at least box office wise. Again, 1.1 billion. You can't argue with that at all. Some people said, oh, you know, it was, really wasn't that great. Uh, and then we knew that they were going to make a sequel eventually. But in just the times of changing box office, this was absolutely no longer a surefire thing to succeed and that's what we're seeing here i'm mean, granted this is one day of box office and you know we are headed into 
a week where every day will be spectacular and that will save it a lot, but it's not going to come close to what the first one did. And that's a big problem for theaters and, well, Warner Brothers. We do have to mention the other wide releases. There is an animated entry, which I wasn't aware of till I was watching football on, on Peacock, and that's Migration from Universal and Illumination. 5.8 million on Friday, which is a decent start, even though box office, as I've, we've said a million times, box office is not the same as it was before the pandemic. We will see, still see a holiday bump. This week, the calendar configuration this weekend is mostly in its favor because Sunday, usually the weakest day is when Christmas Eve is, which is the worst box office day. But then Monday will be excellent. And then so should the entire week for generally everything in theaters. The high tide raises all the boats. Just it's not as high as it used to be, essentially. I know Illumination and Universal have high hopes for migration. It's uh, been open internationally in some uh, regions over the last couple of weeks, and they seem to think it's going to do well. I don't know that really it's going to be as much of a hit as they think it's going to be compared to their other franchise material, like the Despicable Me Minions content, Mm -hmm. but uh, they certainly have uh, high hopes for it. We should probably mention the budget because I think that's part of the conversation here that matters. It's only $72 million, which is pretty cheap for animation these days, illumination. You know, it's lower rent, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're hitting their target demographic very effectively, something Disney is not doing. So when you have a budget that low, you can be more optimistic. When migration makes, let's just ballpark a number, let's say $250 million, if it did that, everyone would be thrilled. Okay. absolutely okay. thrilled and then you know you'd probably get a migration too which would do even better we're putting a lot of cards before horses here but that's the thinking and that explains the optimism is there's cost control from the start we do have to mention two other wide releases for the holidays romantic comedy anyone but you 3.4 million on friday not great but i don't think anyone was expecting this to do well at all and oscar bait the iron claw the story of the Von Erichs, who I remember watching during wrestling in the late 80s or early 90s when ESPN used to actually show that thing. About 2.5 million on Friday, which is actually impressive for an A24 release. But this is one day of box office for all these movies. We A week from now, we will be seeing a different story about most of these movies because the box office is supposed to be very strong throughout the week, especially Christmas Day and then throughout the entire week. So it's a good calendar configuration for the holiday season. And that will help a lot of these movies. And yeah, we will definitely be talking about how Migration did pretty well, I imagine. I still think Wonka will be the best performer out of all of them, but I'm interested to see what happens with Aquaman because that's not a great start. It's a big decline from the the original, and that's probably going to follow suit for the rest of his performance. All right. Well, I think we might have something to talk about in the ratings, too. Yes, we absolutely do. These are actually an interesting set of ratings. It's the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, November 20th to Sunday, November 26th, 2023. And to no one's surprise, the show at the top is Squid Game The Challenge. 1.4 billion minutes for its five episodes. So I suspect we're going to be seeing a lot more than just one uh, additional season to this series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually surprised that we haven't already heard that there's going to be more. Uh, Yeah, this premiered on the 22nd, so we did have most of the week, but everyone wanted to check out the closest thing that we'll get to until we eventually get a Squid Game season two. Thankfully, they don't actually kill anybody in this show. You're eliminated, not murdered. I knew people who were totally into it and said it was said it was awesome. So I'm not surprised at all here. As soon as we saw the show up, we're like, yep, this'll this'll crush. Yet, Tim. They haven't killed anyone yet. <laughs> 
Uh, the Crown, last week's top show, still here in second, 835 million minutes for its 57 episodes. Again, the first half of the final season, well, actually the first four tenths of the final season arrived with last week's ratings. There'll be six more episodes in a couple weeks and that will shoot it right back up to the top. The Great British Baking Show, 437 million minutes for 94 episodes. Always here whenever it adds a new a new season. It, they air in the UK and then it shows up on Netflix a week later and people just cannot get enough of it, including you, Raul. Oh yeah, no, it's great. In fourth, The Santa Clauses from Disney Plus, 408 million minutes for 10 episodes. The second season of this show arrived on uh, November 8th with two new episodes. So then it added them weekly through December 6th. So at this point, it had four of the six episodes in season two. Did we see it last year? I can't remember if we if it made the ratings or not in December. We did. It showed up a couple of times. It did not show up for every episode. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of sporadic. But I was surprised to see it do this well this week personally. Yeah, this is actually very good. I'm quite surprised at that number, especially since it's not the whole season. So yeah, we'll probably then hang around for as it adds the last couple episodes of its second season. But that's uh, that's a pretty big deal, I guess. Just wait till we get to movies because the holiday content has taken over. But this is always interesting to see. In fifth, I had to double check that we talked about this. A Nearly Normal Family, 373 million minutes for six episodes. It's a Swedish drama series that arrived on Netflix on November 24th. And a bit's about murder and stuff, so of course it's here. I have nothing else to add about this one. All right, so in six, just in case we weren't sick of Coco Melon in the choir chart, now we have Coco Melon Lane, and since this is now an original series, here it is on this chart in 291 million minutes for nine episodes. Yeah, very impressive for Moonbug for their first original Coco Melon material that will not be appearing on uh, YouTube before coming to Netflix. Mm-hmm. I guess the good news here is this is actually its full week. It premiered on the 17th, so we didn't see it on last week with just the weekend number but the full week was enough to to land it here, so it won't be hanging around forever like Coco Melon has. Although when we get to the acquired chart, it is dangerously close to dropping off. But more on that in a moment. Uh, we wrap up originals with shows that we have seen before. Criminal Code, we saw last week, uh, the Brazilian series, 282 million minutes in seventh. A previous top show, All the Light We Cannot See, 267 million minutes in eighth. Loki from Disney Plus hangs on one more week after completing its second season, 262 million minutes. And holding on to 10th as well from last week, Prime Video's Invincible, 248 million minutes for 13 episodes. Movies is led by Leo, roaring out of the gate with 1.5 billion minutes. A animated movie with with Adam Sandler doing the voice mm-hmm. of a lizard, not a lion. <laughs> yeah, and this did have the full week. It premiered on the 21st, but I knew this would be a very strong performer just being uh, an original animated film from Netflix with top line name in Adam Sandler. And if this was part of that whole production deal that, again, we talked about this before, but everyone laughed when this happened, but this is one of the best deals in like streaming history, Netflix and Adam Sandler. It really is. And I will say, too, this one has pretty great reviews. It's 81% fresh at Rotten oh, wow. Tomatoes. Okay. Yeah, he also wrote it or co-wrote it. Yeah, this is good. And since this is the full week, I do expect it to drop next week instead of taking the jump. But that's a, still an extremely strong start, especially for a Netflix original. And we were wondering where it was because we did see other holiday movies premiere last week. But returning in second, credited to Hulu and Max, here's Elf, 664 million minutes. Expect this one to stick around through the whole month of December as it does every single year. Along with Home Alone in third from Disney Plus, 631 million minutes. And The Grinch from Peacock, 480 million minutes. Blue Beetle from Max, we saw that arrive last week, 413 million minutes in fifth. So that's actually holding better than I thought. Yeah, but given the wealth of uh, Christmas content here, this is probably the last week we'll be seeing Blue Beetle on this list. Yeah, it'll it'll drop off a ton from here, but two weeks is one more than I actually anticipated. <laughs> but new in six uh, from Peacock, Genie. 
Yeah, the um, Melissa McCarthy movie as a genie. Oh, that's right. Okay. In seventh, uh, we saw Best Christmas Ever arrive last week. It's still here, 394 million minutes from Netflix. Elemental, still holding on amazingly well, 371 million minutes in eighth. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is ninth, 355 million minutes. And in tenth, Christmas Vacation. Yes, the National Lampoon classic, 341 million minutes in tenth, uh, available on Hulu and Max. So yes, we have just reached Thanksgiving in the in the ratings, and half the movies list is Christmas movies. I'm more interested about the fact that so many of these titles, and we'll see this again in a moment with the acquired chart, so many of these titles are shared with Max. It really is begging the question, why Max at all? When in so many of these scenarios, if you have Netflix or if you have Hulu already, you don't need Max. Yeah, Max is generally proving it doesn't need to exist. <laughs> you, you can make I'll an argument it. for about every other streaming service except for max at this point i'll keep it as long as they have the studio ghibli films but that's what i have it for and harley quinn and harley quinn you're right yep i'll give you that one but yeah that's yeah. other than that i just like why does this service exist anymore as a reminder warner brothers discovery's most important product right now is max well done zasloff <laughs> <laughs> the acquired chart is eight shows we have seen before led by bluey 1.1 billion minutes so holy crap bluey has taken the spot that once where cocomelon once reigned cocomelon is all, all the way down to 10th in 541 million minutes so that is a lot of parents sticking their kids in front of the television and saying here watch this yes it is they wanted their thanksgivings to be about adults not kids <laughs> Uh, streaming services, I used to say it was just Cocomelon, but now streaming service in general, America's Babysitter. The two new shows on the acquired chart this week in second is Young Sheldon, 963 million minutes for 131 episodes. So now, now on Netflix. Now on Netflix, yes. So we, we know the show airs on, on CBS, similar to Big Bang Theory, which also a CBS show, but is a Warner Brothers production. So previously you could only find it on Max. Big Bang Theory is here in ninth, by the way, 590 million minutes only on Max. But as of November 24th, the entire series showed up on Netflix. <laughs> so this might be the, the top show next week with the full week. I think once people realize that they can watch it on Netflix, yeah, it'll probably be there. Mm -hmm. My mom will probably watch a bunch of the episodes just by herself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, another exercise in Netflixing. This is mm -hmm. Ted Sarandos telling you, you guys don't need to be paying for Max. You've got <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it does make me laugh that we still have shows credited to more than one service, one of which is Netflix on this chart. We have NCIS, which is Netflix and Paramount Plus. We have Suits, which is still Netflix and Peacock. And <laughs> 16 under Max and Netflix, of course. Oh, boy. Yeah, Max is just completely irrelevant. Generally, their two most popular shows have been consistently Friends and Big Bang Theory, both of which are on this chart. Just send those back to Netflix. Get the money. And you, don't, yes. you don't need to exist. I was going to say, let Netflix have them. God, mm. Big Bang Theory would rule the charts forever, I think. Mm. Oh, imagine what Friends would have done if it was if it was on Netflix when, I know. when Matthew Perry passed away. Yeah. I uh, know. My goodness. Uh, our other new show is First Wives Club in six, 755 million minutes viewed for 29 episodes this is a bet series based on the film and it has three seasons that arrived on netflix on november 15th so that's why it's here at this point 
I think Netflix's biggest conundrum is the fact that they have licensed so much content from the other streamers recently with all those, say, the DC Universe movies from Max, Mm -hmm. all those series from Disney, including Lost. They're going to have a hard time deciding which one to shove down your throat when you open that Netflix home screen. Oh man, we're a week or two away from all the DC movies arriving on Netflix. And while they will have an uphill battle against all the Christmas content, it will be interesting to see if any of them show up. Uh, but yeah, a pretty uh, pretty wild week uh, on the ratings. You know, Squid Game and, and Leo exploding right out, uh, right out of the gate. The Christmas movie is already taking over as we reach Thanksgiving. Expect that to continue throughout the month. And even the acquired chart was actually interesting for once. So yeah, I'm curious to see what we get uh, as long as they, Nielsen doesn't take the, the holiday week off. Well, you've just cursed us, Tim. I did. <laughs> We updated our website. We're good for the holidays. See you, see you in 2024. <laughs> okay. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I have a couple things to cover. I'll really quickly mention that Cunning Cast with Tony Robinson, which I have mentioned here on this podcast before, has completed its first season and is about to start its series two in 2024. But he had a holiday episode, which I found just absolutely delightful. He reads his favorite poem, which is Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. But he also has a English professor on to discuss it. And I'm an English major, so I was just all about this. It was fantastic. But I also visited my parents over the last few days and we watched A Boy Called Christmas, which is a Netflix film. This movie has a fantastic cast. It includes one of my favorites, Michelle Huisman, but also Stephen Merchant as the voice of Mika, a mouse, but also Maggie Smith, Kristen Wiig, Sally Hawkins, Toby Jones, Jim Broadbent, just a really great group. It is a delightful little movie. I found myself thinking that the effects were really well done and it was just a very heartwarming little story. So recommend that for the holidays. Raul, how about you? Well, I've used a little bit of my extra time during the holiday season to catch up on some shows, programs, movies that uh, I've been wanting to watch for some time. And that included the South Park specials that are on Paramount Plus, specifically the one that came out a couple of months ago, South Park joining the Pandaverse, which I will get back to in a moment. And another one that apparently dropped without us noticing on uh, December 20th, which as of today was only three days ago, we probably should have told you about that a couple of weeks ago and unfortunately they didn't market it well enough uh, so we didn't notice it's a special called south park not suitable for children this latter one i've only made it about halfway through it so far because i could only watch randy marsh's genitals so much before i have to take a break But the former one, joining the Pandaverse, was top-notch South Park material. It is, as all South Park specials and episodes seem to be, very much a commentary on current pop culture and society. Without getting too much into it, I will say that in this episode, Bob Iger 
is the hero and Kathleen Kennedy the villain? Or is it the other way around? But yes, David, I think you need to watch this episode of South Park. There's some uh, interesting commentary on the Walt Disney Company here. I do love me some South Park. I've been watching it since they put out their original holiday Christmas card that launched the franchise. And I think that they still are relevant today. All right, Tim, how about you? I was looking for something to make use of the Steam Deck and saw it was on sale and heard good things about it. So I tried a game called Near Automata. It is a action role-playing game that's originally in Japanese and brought over to the Western world a few years ago. It was interesting, I'll say. The story felt kind of flat for me, but apparently the gimmick is you're supposed to play through it multiple times. Like, I reached the end and was like, wait, that's it, it's over. But then if you start the game again, you're playing the game again from a different character's perspective, which so I I guess you're supposed to play through it like two to three times to get the full story, And but I don't know if I want to keep going on it. I think I got my money's worth for what it costs. So maybe I'll go back to it at some point if I have nothing else, but it didn't exactly set my world on fire. But the winter steam sale is on. And I know I've talked about it a few times, but if you buy anything, please pick up against the storm while it's 20 bucks. That is hundreds of hours that you will get out of that game. Now it is now in full release as of a couple weeks ago after being in early access for a year and patched weekly. That's probably my favorite game of 2023, but I'm looking to see what else I can find during this sale. That is awesome. And David, how about you? So yeah, I talked about it at the top of the podcast. Basically, the only thing I've been doing is NBA 2024, and I just really like to make trades. It's like in fantasy where at the end of every draft, I would always offer all the other teams every possible trade, see who would bite. I just like trading, so I can do that all the time. And even better now, I can leave Kim out of it, which I'm sure she appreciates. But (laughs) never leave me again, Kim. It gets lonely here. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week and happy holidays.